Nkrumah, we got Warren on the line. What do you want to ask him? What's the one mistake you made in the beginning you wish someone would have told you about or you would have taken someone's advice that you didn't take their advice on? I think naturally I'm a, I'm an introvert. I'm an analytical type person. My natural inclination is just to bury myself in a spreadsheet. I talked about the beauty of the community that I joined and how valuable that was. I think the biggest mistake I made was having resistance to that network earlier. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Uh, very excited for today's show. We've got two amazing people on the line with us. We got Warren Dresner, who's our experienced investor today, and Nakuma Eves coming on as the aspiring investor. So Warren, as the experienced investor, you're up first. Welcome to the show. And while I'm at it, Nakuma, welcome to you too, but we'll, we'll just, we'll get to your story later. Thank you. Yep, no problem. And and Warren, do us a favor and tell us tell us about yourself and let's let's learn more about you. Sure. Well, I'm from Australia originally. I've uh, lived in a few places around the world. Lived in the UK and Europe for a while. I uh, lived in Chicago and I'm now based in Miami, Florida. Okay. So I've got a background of about 20 odd years in the corporate world in finance and insurance. Um, started out as an analyst and eventually moved into sales roles over time. I, I began investing in real estate in 2010, largely buying single-family homes. Um, I never really discovered multifamily until 2018, 2019. Eventually, when I found out about this concept, multifamily, it seemed to make a lot of sense. Economies of scale. And I started investing first as a passive investor. Mm-hmm. So I came as an LP in a number of syndications. Um, And then around the end of 2019, 2020, I decided I wanted to be more active in the space. So Mm -hmm. I educated myself. I surrounded myself with people who were doing deals and got together with a partner at that time. And we formed our company, Equity Yield Group. Mm -hmm. And we started acquiring and operating large multifamily apartment buildings. Nice. Nice. Well, there's there's a couple of things that I want to to kind of dive in a little deeper on you say you started buying single family homes um as as investment in 2010 first of all great year to start doing that but uh, where where were you in life when you decided to start investing in single family and what kind of drove you to that so i was i would say i was early 30s i had gotten married i think we we must have had one child by that point. So I was, I was starting to think more carefully about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I was earning a good salary in the W2 job. And what really first got me into real estate was tax. Mm-hmm. I had a few conversations with people and I learned that if you invest in real estate, you can get depreciation benefits. Yes. At the time, that was the initial attraction. More and more as I got into it, I realized 
I was earning a decent salary, but I had no passive income whatsoever. So passive income was the other big driver. I started to realize that, you know, I need to build up other sources of income. Mm-hmm. I'd actually, my father had given me rich dad, poor dad many years before. Mm-hmm. I think it went over my head. I, I read it. I remember thinking it was kind of cool, but I forgot about all those concepts. So it was probably five, 10 years later that I realized actually there's a lot of good stuff in there and I need to start building other sources of income. I'll tell you, there, there's a lot of stuff in that book that still go over my head. I mean, every time I read it again, it's just like, you know, next level understanding. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's, that book opened a lot of, you know, unlocked up doors in my mind, you know, when I first read it. And every time I read it again, it's the same thing. But uh, um, I think that's the most frequently cited book on this podcast. So yeah. on, on every real estate podcast. Yeah. So, um, so, okay. So you started to started getting into, to increase the passive income. Um, now, what did your single family portfolio look like? You said you started in 2010 and um, how, how many did you, did you end up getting and, and what, uh, what were your challenges with that? So at most uh, we had six. Okay. And the challenge, we had a property manager. Yep. So I wasn't dealing with tenants, mm-hmm. but the biggest problem was maintenance issues. Mm-hmm. It'd be going nice from month to month. And then all of a sudden there was a, a big ticket item, washing machine had to get replaced or, or something that was going to cost a thousand, two thousand dollars that would just wipe out three or four months of profit. Mm-hmm. Um, once we got to six, other things started to get difficult. Financing was a little bit more difficult once you get more scale, yeah. more problems, more frequency of, of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, that was the big catalyst or the big realization of why syndications might be better for me because I was busy with a day job, busy with the family. And I discovered that you can actually invest in someone else's deal mm-hmm. and you get the same kind of returns without the headaches. Love it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a eye-opening thing for for a lot of people. Is like, you mean I can get the benefits without all the work? Okay, um, you know I, that that really really spoke to me as well. Now, follow. So transitioning to multifamily, you mentioned that uh, you know less headache. You started investing passively. Um, what what tr- what was the trigger to to get you to start taking an active role in multifamily? Um. I guess it's just this journey that I was on that, you know, I discovered passive income, started to build up some passive income. And then I just realized that I remember sitting back at one point thinking, like mapping it out and thinking, okay, if I keep doing this for another 20 years, I'm going to have lots of passive income when I'm 65. Yeah. But then I thought, well, do I really need to wait until I'm 65? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that was the kind of thought pattern. I was thinking, I want to accelerate this. And mm-hmm. I realized that if I get active, I can start to accelerate this and you know, become financially free or independent much earlier than when I'm old and potentially yeah. frail. Yeah. And that's something that I've noticed, you know, firsthand is, you know, the multifamily snowballs quickly. You know, it's something where, you know, most people will get into their first deal. And, um, you know, our first deal was, you know, 55 units. I think that's kind of standard. Most people's first deal is like somewhere in the 20 to 80 range and pretty quickly they work their way up to, to larger deals and the income scales, the work doesn't. And it snowballs really, really quickly to where um, 
and I, I've said the same same phrase. It accelerates things. It accelerates your ability to to do a lot of things. It accelerates your your income and your your future passive income as well. So, um, so you you found a partner and started working together. Where, where did you where did you and this partner meet, and and how did you guys decide to do things? So. When I wanted to get active, I thought there were two potential paths. I could kind of do what you just described, start small and try and build up slowly that way, learn from the school of hard knocks myself, or I could join a mentorship group mm-hmm. and try and accelerate the learning, get an instant network of like-minded peers, potentially yep. um, go bigger earlier. And in the end, I chose that path. So I joined a mentoring group. My partner was in the same group, and and that's where we met. All right. Just just curious, what group did you uh, did you join? I joined Think Multifamily. Think Multifamily. Okay. Yeah, Mark. That's a uh, Mark Kenny. I, I he's he's a super smart guy. I like him. Um, I, I did Michael Blanc coaching, and incidentally, I, I just talked with him this morning about some things. But uh, um, I, I agree one hundred percent with with what you did. And that's exactly what I did as well. It's like, okay, I need, I know I need help. Um, you know, and I, I, I was maybe a little impatient. I didn't want to start with the, the 20, the 15 to 20 unit and then wait two years to do the next deal. I wanted to be able to do it quickly. So I made a very similar decision for similar reasons. You know, get coaching, you know, find, find a coach, find somebody who can teach you and, and go that direction. So education um, great, but actually for me, the best part of it was the network. It was the community. Um, I was, I really consciously wanted to surround myself with other people who would a couple of steps ahead of me. Yeah. The coaching, the education was fantastic, but that community was even better. Yeah. My- yeah. I think the community is absolutely important. It really is. And uh, um, another, another similarity we have is I, I found two of my three partners from that same coaching program myself, you know, so one of them was a coaching student. One of them was, um, one of the kind of lower level, I guess, lurkers, you know, I, I guess I'd call them. And then, uh, the other one was just, you know, a really good friend of one of the other partners that I had. So, you know, I, I think groups like that, you learn, you, you're around people who are doing a lot more, a lot faster and more experienced. And there's a whole lot of potential partners in that group. So, um, I think there's, there's a lot of good groups out there. Just, you know, in, in my case, I found the one that resonated with me the best. And I assume you did the same. Yeah, I think that's how you make the decision. I think they're all good groups, but just find the one that resonates with you that's got the culture that you're looking for. Yep, yep, awesome, awesome. Well, glad glad everything worked out for you. Um, like I said, utmost respect for for Mark Kenny and what he's grown. Um, really, really good uh, good group. So, um, incidentally, I've had a lot of you know Mark, former Mark Kenny coaching students on this podcast, and man, they 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 all have you know a lot of really, really good things to say about the program, you know, while recording and while we're not recording too. So anyway, um, that said, let's, let's talk about your, your motivation. You know, there's, you, you did talk a little bit about wanting to get the passive income, but if we can, we can go kind of one step deeper, you know, what is your, why, what's your big burning? Why? So for me in my job over the years, I've traveled a lot for work. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to travel internationally, which was really cool when I was in my 20s and early 30s. It was fun. I got to see lots of parts of the world. Yep. Once I had a family, it wasn't as fun anymore. Sometimes I was away from home for two, three weeks at a time. Yep. Um, and I 
the kids and it, it just increased the pressure in my life. So the big, big why, the big reason for me is to have time freedom. I want the ability to be able to work when I want from wherever I want. I want to be present in my kid's life. Um, so it's all about trying to get that time freedom where I have control over my time. Yeah, man, you, you, you brought up, uh, brought up some memories. I remember sitting and I, I was in a, a career field where I traveled a lot and I went to some really cool places. And I remember sitting in, you know, Singapore and it's a great city, a lot of stuff to do, just a beautiful place. And I remember I was depressed and I was depressed because I was there without my family, you know, and it was just like, you know, this, this is a great place, but I wish my kids were here. I wish my wife were here, you know? And, and for me, that was, that was kind of a similar thing is I had the opportunity to do a lot of traveling and you end of the day, you know, what's, what's important is being able to spend time with, with the family. So, um, yeah. What, yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, uh, powerful there. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so let's talk about one of the deals you've done. And I actually, you know, pick one, pick, pick your favorite, or you can also talk about, you know, kind of your ideology about finding deals and your, your overall business plan, but up to you, which direction you go. So the reason my partner and I got together was because we have a similar philosophy of what we want to be investing in. Mm -hmm. So and foremost, we start with the market and a macroeconomic view. We want to be investing in places where we can ride the wave of the market. Mm -hmm. So what we look for is strong markets that are growing. We like bigger markets with deep job markets. So we're not looking in, in tertiary markets. We're looking in primary, secondary places like Tampa, Orlando. Um, we, we also, I mean, go a step deeper. So we want population growth. We want income growth. We also look at supply and demand factors. Mm -hmm. um, and absorption, all of all of those statistics that a lot of people quote. Yeah. But we start. We start with the market, drill down into the submarket, and then drill down into the actual property. Mm -hmm. And then from a property perspective, we focus on newer assets. So we focus on A class and B class. And when I say A, I don't mean luxury. Mm -hmm. I, we focus on A minus. So it's a newer building, maybe built in the year 2000 or 2010. But it's still got affordable rents and hopefully it's still got some upside. So some sort of value add component. We do that because we want to avoid some of the headaches that you get with really old buildings. Yeah. Um, we've also noticed always cap rate compression in the market. And where it's got to is that a cap rate on a C-class deal is actually not that different from a cap rate on A-class. Mm -hmm. So if the cap rates are the same, I'd much rather be buying a newer building. Yeah. So that's our focus and we've made that criteria and we're really strict about sticking to it. We really try and not deviate from that at all. Yeah. So you say A minus now is, are, are you buying the A minus properties because there's a little room for value add or are you buying them stabilized already? No, definitely room for value add. I mean, they are pretty stabilized. They tend to be well occupied. Collections tend to be almost perfect. Mm -hmm. Outside. To be able to generate returns for our investors, we we need some sort of value add where we can force appreciation. Yeah, yeah, and there you're you're right about a couple of things, and I've noticed the same thing. You know, the 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 gap, the spread between A class and C class cap rates has compressed a lot. So, 
you're not, you know, a couple of years ago, and I, I started my, my first investment property as sponsor was 2019. There was a big gap between, you know, prices on A class and pricing pricing on C class. And it made a lot of sense to buy the C class because you could get better value and you could get better returns, but um, not quite the same today. And second thing that I think we've learned from experience is you have C class properties, you have C class problems, you know, and you're you're going with the A class properties because you remove a lot of those problems. You know, you don't have a forty year old building that uh, has has things that are going wrong, and you don't have, you know, the, the C class tenants who, you know, sometimes have income instability. You know, your your A class tenants have high credit, and they're going to be paying their, their rent on time every time. I was going to mention that actually. So I didn't say before, but my partner Ryan has a construction background. So he's well aware of the construction issues that come with C-class deals potentially. But the other thing we've really learned going through COVID is what you talked about with the demographics and the willingness or ableness to pay. So we didn't see problems with payments through COVID. Uh And I think because a lot of the tenants in these types of buildings didn't face the struggles that that other tenants potentially Uh cheaper buildings might have faced yeah yeah and we, we we had a couple of properties that performed extremely well and a couple of pro- properties that that suffered a little bit you know and uh um you know part of it was tenant-based part of it was management problems but uh um yeah I, i've heard the same thing from a lot of people who had a class at the time that you know a class tenants you know were still able to pay the bills and most of the a class jobs you know companies still still they weren't affected as much as the C-class employees because they could work from home in most cases. So, um, but yeah, uh, go ahead. Getting onto a specific deal, like I told you about the criteria, one of our favorite assets, which was the the first big deal that we bought um, was a 140 unit property in Sarasota, Florida. (laughs) And it, it really fit into that criteria. So it was, it was actually built in 2016, so it was relatively new. But the interiors were cheap. The interiors, they had ugly brown kitchens. There was definitely scope to drop new granite, put a modern kitchen in there, mm-hmm. and give it a facelift, which yeah. meant push, push rents. And given the growth in that area and that part of the world, we were really confident that we could, we could push rents. Mm-hmm. Um, so we bought that one. We closed on it very early 2020. Okay. And it's been performing amazingly well. Uh, rents are exceeding pro forma. I don't even know anymore, 40, 50%. Mm-hmm. And we're currently in the process of refine mm-hmm. out of, we are, it was actually a Freddie floating rate mm-hmm. loan. It wasn't bridged up, but uh, we're in the process of refining into, into the Yeah, flo- floating rates may have sound gr- sounded great a year ago, but uh, <laughs> actually, you said 2020s when you closed, right? beginning of 2020 so two years ago okay yeah floating rates right now may not sound as as attractive um now now here's 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 a question and um you're probably not going to have a specific answer but uh, see if you can take a stab at it you're saying that your performer rents are 50 percent higher or your real rents in place rents are 50 percent higher than performa how much of that do you think was you guys buying right and how much of that was just the the crazy rent appreciation that we've seen in the last year or two? Well, I would argue that we bought rice in the right market, mm-hmm. which that crazy rent. Yeah. So 
I think that approach of focusing first on the market and trying to be in the right place to ride that wave. Yep. We could say we were lucky and, and we were lucky because no one expected rents to rise that fast. Yep. But I think it was our strategy that put us in the right place. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think that's a, that's a fair answer. You know, I think that's, uh, um, yeah, you're, you, you picked the right market and when things went crazy, that's one of the markets that went the craziest, you know, as far as rent increases and, and whatnot. So, all right. So 140 unit, A minus, you guys did a little value add. You brought in the granite. You brought in the, the nicer finishes on the inside. Um, we're able to push rents because of that and very much benefited from the market you were in and, you know, how the, the basically the tailwinds from that market is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, one question, one more question for you before we, we, we get to Nkrumah. Um, what's next for you? So we had a successful year last year. We, we bought around $130 million of assets, which was nice. far out, outpaced what we thought we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Given that momentum, though, we want to keep it going. So we're actively out there looking for new deals. We would love to buy more in 2022 than we did last year. Mm-hmm. It continue to increase, so it's difficult out there at the moment. But we do. We got broker relationships now. We've got a track record, so we're seeing opportunities. So we're we're actively out there trying to buy more properties. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to build the portfolio and scale the business. All right. Yeah. Sounds awesome. And that's, that's something that, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people that the scaling part, a lot of people get into the first, second, third or fourth deal. And the scaling part is the, uh, uh, it's probably more difficult, I would say, but, uh, um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people get stuck at that scaling part. So, uh, rooting for you. And I, I think you guys are going to do very well. So, um, that said, shifting gears a little bit, we, we got Nakuma here on the line with us today. So welcome. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So do us a favor and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Nakuma Eves, currently residing in Lawton, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, married with uh, four four kids. Uh, currently, my W-2 is I work for the Department of Defense uh, doing logistics mm-hmm. uh, for missile systems. And um, I found my way into multi-family real estate through uh me and my wife going to a seminar a one-day seminar which we thought was about duplexes but kind of find out it was about multi-family and then during the three-day seminar it just opened my eyes to all the possibilities that multi-family or real estate in general mm-hmm. uh could bring to me and my family and nice. friends and everyone else so that is what brought me to real estate it's multi-family mm-hmm. Awesome. So, so lot in Oklahoma, and for people who don't know, that's right, parked right next to Fort Fort Sill, um, Army Base. And something else I'd like to highlight is you're also an Army veteran. So, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Ten so, years. So. Yeah. Now, did you did you take the job with uh, just backing up a little bit? Did you take the job with the DoD because of your Army experience? Were you kind of leveraging your Army experience with your your current DoD job? Yes. Yes. So. I got out. I had I had no plans. I just knew I had to get out because at the time our oldest son was eight years old and six of those years I was gone, whether PCS, whether deployed somewhere I was gone. So I just knew no matter what I was done with Mm -hmm. my time. So 
that was it. And just so happened, a lot of my coworkers in the military mm-hmm. just so happened to have the same job and it gave me a foot in the door to, to have the job. Yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people do, do similar things. I mean, um, most, most people who listen know that I, I spent quite a while in the military as well. And it's, um, it's, it's the same thing I see over and over again, you know, people deploy a lot and they want to spend time with their family and eventually they're, they're looking for something else. And, you know, for you, first step was the DOD, um, as, um, a DOD civilian or contractor? No, civilian. civilian. DOD civilian. And then there, for people who, uh, yeah, <laughs> there is a difference and I don't, you know, I'm not going to explain it, but, yeah. um, but good. So you went, so from, from the DOD civilian job, you went to a real estate conference expecting to learn about duplexes and boom, multifamily. So what was it about multifamily that really appealed to you? Doing the, having a, a team do all, well, not all the work, but having a team that can help you do the same work that you do single family or residential and have someone be able to help you do that. And also to the scalability or being able to use other people's money to be able to take down a huge deal. Like everything yeah. was mind blowing to me. I never had this type of educational knowledge to know all these things. And then when it came to me, flooding to me, I was just like, wow. My mom's alone. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a couple, a couple things in there. I mean, Warren mentioned with his single family, it was harder and harder and harder to get loans, uh, which is something that a lot of people find out when they try to scale single family, not quite the same in multifamily. And then you can use other people's money. It's so awesome. You know, you can, you can scale and obviously you have to be a good steward of that money. Um, and then, uh, yeah, something else is, is being able to partner. And I love that idea, but, uh, Lots, lots of goodness there. Um, so let's let's talk about your your motivation. I think you know some of that has come out already, but if you could, you know, tell us what your your big burning why is. Yes, my big burning why is similar to yours and Warren's. It's uh, being able to have time freedom to be able to spend time with the family, with my friends and my loved ones to do what I want to do. As far as uh, yeah, anything, just really time management, family time. I love being with my family. If it's not work, I'm home with the family doing family things. That's my number one, my number one driver right there. So that's why I want to leave the, I want real estate to replace my W-2 because my current job still keeps me deployed to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I guess that's a downside. I've heard it's a lot better deploying as a civilian than a military member, but uh, never. Yeah, <laughs> it depends. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, well, part part of our goal with this podcast is to help you get there. So, you know, Nakruma, we got Warren on the line. What do you want to ask him? You asked a lot of good questions already, but uh, I think I have a, I have a few questions I want to ask. Mm-hmm. Primarily, Warren, uh, nice to meet you. You too. Talk to you. Uh, what's the one mistake you made in the beginning you wish someone would have told you about or you would have taken someone's advice that you didn't take their advice on? Yeah. Ooh, the one mistake. I, I'm sure I've made lots of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think naturally I'm a, I'm an introvert. I'm an analytical type person. My natural inclination is just to bury myself in a spreadsheet and try and go alone. And it's not always natural for me to put myself out there and network with people. 
I talked about the beauty of the community that I joined and how valuable that was. I think the biggest mistake I made was having resistance to that network earlier. I think as soon as I started surrounding myself with people who are a couple of steps ahead of me, things started to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I embraced that from that point forward, but I was probably too slow to, to really get out there and network and surround myself with people doing this stuff. Yeah. And I'll, I'll take a stab at that too, if you don't mind. The, the, right. the, I think the thing that, uh, that I didn't listen to a lot was the, the whole piece about raising capital, right? I mean, some people have this mindset that if you have a good deal, the capital is going to come. It's not as simple as that. And I, I had in my mind that I don't need to do that. I'll just find a partner to raise money for me. Um, and it's also not quite as simple as that either, you know? So it's, um, I think up front, I would have done a lot better not ignoring the capital raise part. I mean, I was still focused on underwriting and finding deals, but I completely ignored the capital raising part. And I wish I would have spent a little more time, you know, developing relationships with passive investors and building a capital raising platform along with my deal finding. It's difficult. There's so much to do, right? Like a lot of people do just focus on the acquisitions or they just focus on the capital raising. Because yep. it take everything takes time, so mm-hmm. it's hard to balance everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing too. I'm trying to find. Oh, what are the to follow into the capital raising? I had a question about that too. What are some of the the techniques you've used to raise capital, Warren? Because I've I've looked at I've read a few things that say you should have a a, a fake deal or a real deal in hand and come to Investor and say, hey, this is like this is what I have right here, and this is what I would do if this deal was gonna happen and go through A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. What is what is your opinion on that? I think that's that's good advice. I similar to what Brian said. I think the biggest thing with raising capital is you've got to start the conversation before you have a deal. So, if you're going to be raising from friends and family, it's really important to start talking to friends and family about what you're doing and about what a typical deal might look like. So putting together a, a fake deal or a similar deal, I think adds real value because when you do finally present them with a deal, it's not a cold conversation. You know, they've already seen this. It's very consistent with what you showed them before. I think that makes the conversation much, much easier. Yeah. I, the sample deal packet, you know, that, that's another one of those things that uh, I didn't put together myself. You know, I, I wish I would have done at least that because, um, you know, when, when you don't have a deal, you know, and, and you don't have experience, it's hard to show people what it looks like. But putting together that sample deal packet and being able to just use it as a talking piece, you know, hey, you know, if you're interested, here's something that uh, you, you can look over. Uh, I think that's huge as well. Just talk to people. I think the other thing that you mentioned before is it is a team sport. One of the beauties of multifamily is that you can work as a team. So something else we did very early on was build relationships with other future partners, people who could potentially become our future partner who also had the ability to raise capital. And by doing that early before we had a deal, once again, when we had that deal, we could really form that team pretty quickly. And it was a powerful team that wasn't just reliant on our ability to raise capital. It was the power of the group. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I have an, 
All right, another another question, Warren. Uh, I was listening to something this morning, and it brought up a good point to me about people leveraging. They use OPM, other people's money, OPT, other people's time, and OPE, other people's. I can't remember that the last E. Sorry, but uh, experience. I'm experience. Guessing. There you go. There you go. Other people's experience, and it it just triggered it to me. At, like that's why I love networking and meeting people and finding out really, first off, what I can do for them in order to be able to leverage all three of those, all three of those. What are some of the things you you do to leverage other people's experience, time? And money. And money. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we, we raise capital for our deals. So that's how we're leveraging other people's money. Um, Hmm. How are we leveraging other people's experience? I mean, in the beginning, we lever- we leveraged a lot of experience. We talked about Mark Kenny and I think multifamily group. So the first things that we were doing, we could never have done them without Mark mm-hmm. because he was helping us qualify for the loan. So that's, that's a huge component in multifamily. You, you need experience, you need net worth, and you need liquidity to qualify for a loan. And that was something that, none of us have in the very beginning. So that was, I mean, an absolutely crucial point in the beginning. Um, but even now we're leveraging experience. You know, I'm, I'm part of other groups trying to learn how to be a better capital raiser, mm-hmm. trying to learn how to continuously improve underwriting, learn about the market. So I feel like I've, I'm constantly, I've got an open mind to learning from all sorts of people. And I feel like I can learn from anyone, whether they've got, more properties than us or less, there's still potential to be learning and, and that's leveraging other people's experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll double down what he said on leveraging experience. You know, almost everybody in their first deal has to do it. You know, I was a coaching student for, with, with Michael Blanc and I'd throw his name out a lot. You know, I, I would use the experience of my coach and on our first deal, we had to bring in a, a key principal to partner with us and I leveraged their experience you know, and one of you know my my business partners uh, with with Four Oaks, we had various successes in in business, and I would leverage their business success a lot. So, you know, especially on your first deal when you have no experience, like leveraging the experience factor is, um, I mean, they're they're all important, but leveraging that experience factor is, is something you can't do it without. And um, leveraging time, I I pay people to, for example edit this podcast. You know, it's something that uh, I can do and I can do it well enough, but it's, it's not where I need to be spending my time. So I, I look at the things that I can't do well, or I don't like doing or keep me from doing the important things. And I try to pass those off to other people that I can pay a lot less to do it. All right. All right. That's really important when it comes to scaling. You know, we talked about how difficult it is to scale and, and it's all about leveraging other people's time at that point. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And another question to, to both of you gentlemen. Uh, being new, everyone, and even not being new, just season period in the, in, in the multifamily, people always say, find a way to add value. But when you come in new, just uh-huh. walking into the door, sometimes it's hard to find where you can add value. So besides bringing the deal to the table and maybe being boots on ground, what other ways have you found to for an individual to 
add value if they want to be a part of your team because you you have both you have your core teams already. So how do you how does someone leverage leverage that? Yes. So you mentioned a couple of classic ways. So finding a deal, sure. Uh, on the ground, absolutely. That can be really helpful. The other one is is being able to raise capital. Um, so that's another classic way. And and on every deal we do, we, we put a different team together. So we're not fixed. We don't have fixed partners that we have to partner with on every deal. So potentially someone could come in on a, on a new deal because they can raise capital and they're local. I mean, there are, there are a number of ways to add value. I think, you know, in the beginning, I agree. It's really, I was thinking the same thing in the beginning. Like how can, I was a little bit in awe, like what can I bring to the table? I don't think you really know the answer until you just start to get to know people and start to talk to them. So I'd say in the beginning, the best thing is just network, like you say you enjoy doing, and talk to people about what they're doing. Try and understand what they're up to, what their strategy is, what their challenges are. And the more you start sharing ideas, I mean, you start to uncover different things. And I, I think if someone sees that you're really motivated and really enthusiastic about learning and listening and getting into the business, people are going to be attracted to you and gravitate towards you. And you never know where those relationships could lead. Yeah. That, that, that is one of the questions I get the most from, from the newer uh, aspiring investors is, is I don't have any experience. How can I add value to somebody else? You know, and um, I, I really like what Warren said, you know, once you start networking with people, when you start talking with people, you'll, you'll kind of, you kind of gravitate towards, you know, one direction or another, you'll hear people say, well, you know, I'm looking for this, or, you know, this is what I do. And this is what my partners do. And the more people you talk with, the more people you network with, you know, I, I think you're going to automatically start gravitating towards one side or the other. Um, I think the two biggest currencies in this uh, in this community or in this this business are deals and money. You know, those those are the two biggest things to to add value: deals and money. So, um, and everybody is looking for something different. You know, so keep that in mind. Um, there are plenty of people out there who would love to partner with newer syndicators. You know, just putting their balance sheet on the line. There's a lot of people who who kind of have it in their business model to. Hey, if if newer syndicators come to a, come to us, you know we will partner with them on a deal. We'll come in as advisors, and we'll get a little bit of you know a piece of the pie. So there, there, there's lots of different ways you can do it. Um, but I'll, I'll go back to you know what Warren said: network with a lot of people, and pretty soon I think the answer will become clear. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. And we got we got time for one more. If you got one more, if you don't have one more, we're we're good. All right. For both of you, uh, building credibility, what's the best ways you've found to build credibility? I know you said you had a single family portfolio before, Warren. And how did you build credibility to have people want to invest in you and trust you? Um, So I think, you know, you've been working for a while. It's not like you've got no experience. And I was the same, no life experience, no business experience. I think you've got to leverage your business experience because it is relevant. Like we are actually in this business, we're buying a business and that business happens to own real estate. And so all of us who have a career, whether it's in the corporate world, whether it's in the Navy, 
whether it's in real estate specifically, we have relevant experience. If you know how to be professional and diligent and you know accounting or whatever skill set you've been working on in your career, that is relevant experience. And so I'd say, number one, leverage that. Never sell yourself short thinking, well, I've got no experience in real estate. You've got experience in business and that's relevant. Um, in terms of building trust, I think it's just about having conversations. Um, I think over time, like anyone, I was nervous when I started having conversations with investors, but you grow that confidence over time. And once investors feel that you know what you're talking about, that you've got, that you can speak with confidence and conviction, I think that builds trust and that builds trust from investors. And I think that helped a lot. Thank you. For, for me, I, I started, I, I would go on to real estate forums and uh, at first I would lurk, you know, at first I would be the person that was just trying to consume information, you know, and pretty soon I started seeing questions that I could answer, you know, and at first I, I didn't feel like I had the experience. Now I, I had a handful of single family homes myself. And so I, I, I knew I could answer questions about single family homes. I knew I could answer questions about, you know, types of loans and things like that. And I would go into these and I start answering the questions that I could. And I got into some multifamily specific forums and I started seeing questions that, you know what? I just heard a podcast about that. And the way I started, would I would reference the podcast. You know, I would leverage someone else's experience and say, hey, I just listened to this podcast. Um, and then it, it, it evolved from there to when I would see a question that I didn't know the answer to, I would research the answer. You know, and I would start posting the answers. And at first, like I said, it was always, hey, this podcast or hey, I got from this book or hey, I got from that. But what I didn't realize, I mean, I, I did it in a way a little bit selfishly. I mean, I wanted to know the same answer, but I figured if I'm going to research the answer, I might as well just post it. But that started building my reputation inside those communities as, as somebody who either had the answers or had access to the answers. And, you know, eventually that's what helped me get partners because I had established myself in a multifamily centric community as somebody who um, would at least find the answers to everything as a go getter, so to speak. Um, okay. And then the, the other thing that, uh, you know, w w you know, just doubling down with what uh, Warren said, um, talk about it. You know, you definitely have to talk about it. It's difficult talking about it at first. But you definitely have to talk about it and tell other people what you're doing. That builds confidence. And then doubling down on something else he said is, is use your um, use your corporate experience. You know, my the, the first bio I put up on our website said, you know, taking 20 years of military experience and, you know, using that to start, you know, translating that to multifamily, you know, and um, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I talked about certain experience, you know, leadership experience or whatever. Um, and, and taking 20, 20 years of military experience and converting it to a successful multifamily business. But anyway, um, that said, you know, Warren, unless you have something to follow up with on that one, I, no, I just, I completely agree yeah. with what you're saying. It, it is such relevant experience because we're buying a business. Once you've got the asset, you need to manage a team of people. Uh -huh. So leadership experience is completely relevant. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I've invested in syndicators, in syndications before that weren't managed well. And as an investor, that was really frustrating. 
Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I think it's just that the team that bought that property, they didn't know how to run a business or they didn't know how to manage a team effectively. So they were lacking that experience. I think, I think leveraging your corporate experience um, is huge. It's probably underrated, but it's really important. All right. Awesome. Well, we are about out of time. So let's, uh, let's wrap things up. And I got one question for each of you to, fi- to finalize things. Um, Warren, you get to go first. How can investors learn more about you? Thanks. So the best way is probably to go to our website. It's equityyieldgroup.com. Um, you can contact us there. You could sign up to our newsletter. You can sign up to our investor intake form um, so that you get notified about future deals. That would be the best, the website. Perfect. And Nakuma, same question for you. The best way to uh, get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. That's where I'm at primarily right now. And um, that's about it. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. We'll put a link to the website and to Nakuma's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So if anybody's interested in connecting with these guys, you know, first of all, very highly encouraged. Um, but just check out the show notes and, and we'll get you there. All right. That said, thanks very much to both of you for coming on the show today. Appreciate your time. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you thank very you. much for having me. And thank you, Warren. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful day. You, yeah, too. you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already, and then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.